Hey guys, Zach here, and I wanted to let you guys know that Fieldwork is brought to you in part by General Mills. General Mills is partnering with farmers and suppliers to advance regenerative ag practices on a million acres of farmland by 2030. Zach and I have the easy job, really. That's true. We just sit and talk about farming and stuff. Dirt. Soil. 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 Sorry. <laughs> it's not dirt. Plenty of it's still dirt, though, I think. We're trying to mm -hmm. make it soil. That's right. That's a good dirt. point. There's a lot of dirt. That's a good point. I'm Zach Johnson. I'm Mitchell Hora. And this is the field work. And this is the field. <laughs> All right, we'll try Start that again. Start over. Start over. No turning back. We're already turning back. I'm Zach Johnson. I'm Mitchell Hora. And this is the Field Work Podcast, where we talk about sustainable ag practices and conservation, farmer to farmer, what we're doing on the farm, the successes and the challenges involved with those things. Today, we're going to talk about drain tile and water management, one of the big investments that as farmers and landowners, we can make into our ground being drain tile. We've got some great guests joining the podcast here today. That fellow you just heard schooling us on the difference between soil and dirt is Matt Helmers. He's a professor at Iowa State University in Ames. Hi, Matt. How are we doing today? Oh, great. Great. Thanks for having me. You bet. Thanks for joining us. Also with us is uh, Rodney Rulin, who is a farmer uh, just north of Indianapolis, fourth generation farmer in Indiana. He practices a lot of uh, conservation methods, those being specifically things like no-till and cover crops. Uh, Rodney, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Very excited to be here. Both these guys joined us today via Skype. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Obviously, drain tile is a big issue, and it seems to become a bigger issue all the time. Um, there's a lot of drain tile in Minnesota, Iowa. I would assume there's a lot in Indiana, and, and I'm kind of curious. I know, at least in my state of Minnesota, and I, in, in your state, Mitchell, as well, down in Iowa, there is a, a a big feeling that kind of surrounds drain tile as being negative. And, and there's a lot of people who don't understand just how it's used or why it's used. And I think there's a, a, a big feeling out there amongst non-farmers that believe that there's a lot of abuse that goes on when it comes to drain tile and that we don't really understand exactly what we're doing when we put this drain tile in the ground, that we're just chasing higher yields and, and, and decreasing habitat and, and adding the nutrients to the to the water, and we know that those nutrients are expensive. We don't want those nutrients in the water, um, and and you know we do what we can to understand the impact. Matt, why don't you kind of lead us off with that on what you've seen? Obviously, this has been a big uh, spot for you, a big focus of your work over the last couple of years. Why don't you kind of give us a little background on some of that, on the progress we've made, and kind of what you're seeing going forward? Yeah, yeah, it's a, it is a, a big topic. I've been at Iowa State 15 years, and I've certainly seen a change in the urgency around uh, water quality issues. And so uh, in 2013, uh, the state of Iowa released a Iowa nutrient reduction strategy um, in response to the Gulf of Mexico Hypoxia Task Force action plan. And so a lot of states in the Mississippi River Basin have developed those. And so a lot of our efforts since 2013 have been focused on implementing practices that can reduce uh, downstream nutrient loss. We have a long way to go, but I think we are, uh, we are seeing you know, increased conversation about what we can do within our agricultural fields to reduce that, that nutrient loss. It's a big challenge, and we have to recognize if we look at the, 
the Mississippi River Basin, you know, the the biggest land use is agriculture, and that's a big contributor of nutrients to downstream water bodies. So we really have to start looking at what we do on our agricultural land to to reduce that nutrient loss. What's your initial takeaway on drain tile in the system? As far as like when you're having conversations with farmers, what's kind of the first thing you know that comes to mind when talking about the tile? Yeah, that that's a good question. I would say it's the the good and the bad uh, of drain tile um, and artificial subsurface drainage. If we didn't have artificial subsurface drainage throughout the Upper Midwest, we would not have the agricultural production that we do. Uh, it's very critical uh, for um, you know reducing excess water stress on the crop, allowing aeration in the soil, uh, so that we can we can you know, produce the abundant crops that we do. But we also have to recognize that there are some unintended consequences of that. One is that, um, you know, it, it short circuits natural flow pathways for uh, dissolved nutrients, specifically nitrate. And so we can see, you know, that nitrate that leaves the plant root zone be, um, you know, move that water and, and nitrate move into the tile line and be delivered right to the stream. And so, uh, you know, we see high nutrient uh, delivery to the stream in those watersheds where we have a lot of uh, a lot of subsurface drainage. Also, as we look at it, you know, historically, um, you know, where we have that subsurface drainage, we've had a decrease in the amount of uh, wetland acres. And so there's been some, you know, some habitat impacts. Obviously, that was, you know, a lot of that was done uh, decades ago or, or nearly a century ago or more. Um, but we have to recognize that was, you know, an unintended consequence uh, of that. And so, you know, as we move forward, how can we try to balance agricultural production with uh, with water management and getting some of those those um, you know, values back on the landscape that maybe have been lost? One could say we drain the swamp. Uh, that that's exactly <laughs> no right. Political Sorry, this is not a political we, we, no. we really we really did uh, drain the swamps and wetlands of the upper Midwest, without a doubt. No, I think you know some of the takeaway here so far is how important the tile has been in order to improve ag production, to be able to farm um, more acres and whatnot, and be able to increase the productivity. And I see that as definitely being a really important piece. We use a lot of tile on our farm, and Zach does as well on his. To me, I think it's one of the best investments that a farmer typically is making on their farm in order to really increase productivity. We've got some side-by-side trials and whatnot um, on our farm where we're seeing very significant difference, You know, 20 bushels or more year over year uh, where we have the tile versus where we don't. So I know it's a really important piece to be able to continue to improve and whatnot, but we obviously have to manage it better. For those of us who already have a lot of tile and that there's more and more and more tile going in all the time, uh, what's the thoughts on how do we you know, make sure that the water that's coming out of it is as clean as we can? I think farmers have uh, a lot of, of opportunities. So I think about it kind of a, a systems approach and all the way from the land to the stream. And what can we do? And the first thing we need to start with is is thinking about good nitrogen management. Are we putting on the right amount of nitrogen at the right time, you know, right place, right source? So the four R's, which are, are very important, I think it really starts there. We have to do the best job. But then we need to recognize that even when we do the best job with nitrogen management, we can still see 
some nitrate loss that is in excess of what we want. And so then if we do things like cover crops, that can really help us reduce that, you know, and, and uh, you know, for a lot of producers, that's going to work very well into their systems, kind of what we've talked about, helping with that soil, really protecting our, our soil asset and reducing that, that nitrate loss as a part of it. Um, then there are things we can do kind of, kind of, you know, further downstream. Once that water is into that tile line, you know, can we treat it? Can we route that drainage water through a wood chip bioreactor, through what we call a saturated buffer, promote that shallow groundwater flow through the buffer, or route that into a wetland system for denitrification? Or emerging working eye was looking at oxbow restoration, where we make sure we route that tile water uh, into that oxbow restoration. And then I think kind of at the at the leading edge of, of thinking about managing that drainage water is thinking about drainage water recycling. And so uh, there's there's a group of folks throughout the Midwest on a transforming drainage project that are thinking about drainage water recycling. Can we capture that drainage water uh, in on-farm storage or a portion of it? We, we would not be able to capture all of it, a portion of it, and then use that for supplemental irrigation for the crop. Uh, and so a kind of dual benefit. One, uh, we're reducing that downstream nutrient loss because we're putting more water out into the field and, and hopefully increasing plant water use of the crop. And by doing that, hopefully increasing uh, crop production. And so it's that's a, a concept that's really in the research stage because we really need to understand what's the cost of it and what's the benefits from a crop production standpoint, but could be on the leading edge of how we manage that drainage uh, water uh, to kind of get the dual benefit of improved profitability uh, and improved um, downstream water quality. Too too much too much information at once. No, <laughs> I mean, well, but but just being able to have different options though too. Right, that plenty of farmers you know can kind of pick and choose and figure out what's going to work for your operation. I think right. You know, so. Yeah. And I, I think that's exactly right. And one of the other ones I forgot to mention was controlled drainage, where maybe we just manage that drainage water with a control structure. And so during certain times of the year, we, we try to hold some of that water back when maybe we don't need as much drainage. So in the winter and the summer, but then in the spring and the fall, when we're worried about early crop development or, or trafficability, we let that drainage uh, flow, you know, um, kind of freely. But I think you're right. We need we need plenty of options because, uh, you know, um, cover crops are, for, for example, cover crops are a great practice, but it may not fit as well into everybody's operation. A lot of good points there. Um, Rodney, I want to bring you into the conversation a little bit here. Um, as I said, you're, you're a farmer in Indiana, just north of Indianapolis, and you have yourself adopted a lot of different uh, conservation practices, as I mentioned, specifically uh, things like no-till and cover crops, but you also uh, do a lot of, uh, you work a lot with drain tile. And my understanding is you have a business where you actually install some drain tile. Can you tell me kind of how that fits in with your conservation practices? Uh, yeah, sure. It's uh, kind of like you alluded to earlier. Water, water management for us is just integral to crop production. Here, right here, we we literally uh, the northern acres that we farm are uh, in uh, Tipton County. For anybody that's from Indiana, that will know that. But that is is literally the swamp. So uh, for for us in Indiana, anyway. So um, you know, it's we we wouldn't have 
crop production without drainage. So, so those are certainly very closely interrelated. But uh, uh, at the same time, our overall water management program is really uh, integral to our risk management program because we live in times of excess water and times of, of water shortfalls. So, so really managing water overall, the water cycle for us is um, kind of a critical part of our risk management and, and yield management. So, so the drainage kind of fits into our whole soil health and soil quality approach in that uh, um, for us to make no-till work, which reduces erosion, improves, you know, the, the water going into the soil, um, uh, we really need the drainage to, to help that soil wor warm up and get rid of the excesses because we're putting more water into the soil, keeping it covered, keeping our temperatures uh, moderated where we would like to have them. Um, cover crops work great because they, uh, they again, help with um, – catching that water and putting it in into the soil, holding on to nutrients. You know, um, if we're putting putting more water through the soil profile, we obviously want to have living roots there as, as much of the year as we can. So rather than letting those escape out that direct conduit to the tile, we try and uh, capture those and hold them in a living root throughout the year. So, so yeah, really this, this whole, uh, water management, drainage, soil health picture uh, is really hard to separate out into just one one thing. So we, we try and make a system that, that minimizes our impact um, on the environment and for, especially for us with Indianapolis and, and our neighbors, uh, we're, we're directly in the, the line of water for the water supply there. So we want to reduce the impact and um, on them as much as we can. And we want to keep the nutrients that we paid for here growing crops for us. Today on Fieldwork, we're talking to Matt Helmers and Rodney Rulin on Skype about drain tile and water management. What I'm really curious about with, with Rodney here, Rodney, you farm not very far north of a major, yeah, a major urban area. Your water from your farm, I believe, um, heads south and heads right towards that city. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, that's right. We go right into the drinking supply. So, and so, so what, right straight into the reservoir. What do you get surrounding Indianapolis out there? What is the feeling that surrounds drain tile? And, and maybe as long as we're on that subject, what are you seeing as far as regulations coming, whether it's from the city, the county, the state? I mean, what, what are you seeing as far as a regulatory environment surrounding specifically drain tile? Yeah, so we're somewhat lucky here in Indiana. We've been a, a fairly uh, farmer-friendly state for a, for a really long time, and uh, and even for for our, our non-farm neighbors in Indianapolis, it certainly um, have main, maintained that. And so so we have a good relationship, um, I would say, at, at this point with uh, you know with our utilities uh, as well as uh, uh, people in, in the city to the south here. But it's but it's ever-changing you know as as people get information and it's not always correct information unfortunately these days that uh, that they get about what we're doing and and we've done you know i've been uh, on the soil and water board here in our county for oh gosh going on 20 years now i suppose along with working with purdue and working with other organizations locally we've done what we can to try and be on the forefront of educating and helping. And I, I think that's another one of those things that's kind of our responsibility as farmers. We can't depend on other people to speak for us like we have in the past. So we need to, to get out there and be letting them know what's going on. Every time another report comes out, another article hits the, hits the wire, then, uh, 
then we get those questions of, you know, we know you guys, we see you putting in this tile and stuff and the water in the reservoir every time it rains looks pretty nasty. And so, so what are you doing? And that's when we have to kind of step up our game and share our story and say, you know, we're not just out here doing what we can to ruin your water. You know, we, we live here too. We're part of the community. Our kids go to school with, with your kids and, and we all feel, um, certainly, uh, a responsibility for what leaves our farm and uh, the way that impacts our our downstream neighbors. So, so that being said, you know whether it's uh, doing podcasts like this or going and and talking at community organizations, things like that, we try and really do our part to just show that farmers are doing the four R's. We are using cover crops and no-till. We're we're really trying to move forward in doing things to help reduce these problems but uh, at the same time we look around at our at our neighboring states and and hear the talk and even in our legislature here of of regulations that are potentially coming and they're a little bit scary for us obviously but we just have to do our best to make sure that we're, we're doing what we can and that the right information gets out there that there are things, you know, uh, Matt's talked about, gosh, 20 different options of things that we can do to, to really help, you know, to really help with the, the water quality and keep this stuff out of the water. So, um, unfortunately we as farmers sometimes have have fallen short on being proactive right if we could just get every farmer in the U S to follow the four R's, right. That would be, a major accomplishment and, and would be probably surprising what we could do. So, I'm curious, Rodney, what's your experience been with the economic side of, of really some of the conservation practices that you've taken? So, well, that's interesting. And for anybody that uh, uh, knows me and is uh, from the Indiana area, I've, I've certainly been a, a champion of the the economics of, of conservation as we see it on our farm. And I think uh, the, the four R practices, obviously getting the right rate and the right timing and, and all those things on our nutrients are just a given. I, th- I think we can't argue the economics of, of doing those things right at this point. There's no reason, um, you know, as, as nutrient prices uh, maybe have come back down a little bit now, but uh, for the most part, uh, with commodity prices where they're at, we, can, we certainly can't afford to be throwing nutrients down the drain as it be. And so, so there's a lot of valuable economics to minimi- minimizing your applications just in order to save money. Uh, and the net result of that is that we're we're being more uh, environmentally friendly at the same time. So those those things are certainly a given. There's a lot of practices that uh, you know some of these things we've got things like uh, two stage ditches and things like that going in here in Indiana that uh, are great for water quality when it leaves the field and can start to recapture you know especially dis- dissolved reactive phosphorus and those kind of things and in, uh, in those and and those are more large scale those are going to take uh, some government funding and things like that it's obviously not going to be economical for for me as a farmer to do that but you know cover crops and you know side dressing instead of fall applying nitrogen all of those for for us we've been working with uh, Purdue now for uh, gosh since 2011 I think on a long-term cover crop study and year after year after year we're seeing the uh, the payback uh, where we're getting not only 
you know, reduce nutrient loss, but increase yields year after year. And so that certainly it's, it's easy in that situation to say, uh, you know, if we can pay for, for those practices year to year with, with yield gains, then uh, certainly we're going to do those. But we, we have a, a societal cost that we need to attach to some of these things too. So, you know, if I have buffer strips and, and grassed waterways and things, uh, it's hard for me to say that I'm, you know, making enough money from my CRP payment to to maybe justify those always. But there is uh, there is certainly for us as we look at now uh, uh, the reservoirs that were created in the 50s and 60s here around us to store water are 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 silted in and and having to be dredged. And uh, you know, there's all there's all of these things going on that uh, that really are part of the cost that's hard to account for. So so I. I really firmly believe that in the world we live in today where uh, you know there's so much information about available about the true costs outside of the farm and and if we're not too short-sighted in our views there's there's a lot of value to these practices uh, that's going to pay us big dividends in the long term and uh, you know I'm still hoping that uh, my kids are going to want to farm this this land someday too so there's uh, there's some really awesome long-term benefits when we look in in that type of perspective too as you're talking with other farmers and whatnot, or as you're looking at implementing, especially, you know, drainage is where we want to kind of focus on, but just overall other conservation practices and whatnot too, you're saying we definitely need to play the long game on this, but how do we quantify some of those economics and whatnot? How do you show uh, the economic returns, you know, at scale? Yeah. So, so you threw me the softball there. So since we're talking about drainage, I'll just, uh, I'll, I'll kind of hit that one to, to start with. I mean, dra- drainage outright by itself for us is just, uh, is, is so easy, honestly, to, to look across our farms and areas where we have tile and don't have tile and, and those kind of things. Um, economically, it's, it's just huge. So I can make that argument. I can make a generally here in in central Indiana, we're looking at a two two to three year payback on drainage improvements on a farm. A lot of times, twenty to fifty bushel corn yield increases are are not unreasonable at all. So so those are easy. So so we say that we really need to be doing that, and we need the ability to do that. So we don't want to lose that ability. So to some degree, that's where the the more long sighted approach and looking at the entire system so that we can go ahead and continue to to use drainage to improve our farms, then how are we going to incorporate some of these other practices to manage water? And that's where we get into looking at a separate study at Purdue that we've started working with, um, uh, Shalmar Armstrong. He's working with Purdue and University of Illinois and and doing some, some research. They've got several years now where they're looking at uh, you know, intensively pattern tiled fields, you know, down into the 20 foot spacing type scenarios. And then, you know, nitrogen timing as well as nitrogen types, I believe, and then uh, cover crops and how, how those putting those on top of those is really capturing those nutrients and keeping them out of the tile and those kind of things. So, so starting to look at how all those things play together is going to be critical. And so, so for us on our farm, to some degree, we've just said, you know, this is the way we're going to farm. Sometimes you just have to make that leap and do that. But at the same time, once, once we've done that, now we've, we've brought, uh, we, we have about uh, 65% of our acres that are rented. You know, we're bringing the landowners along with us and they're starting to see 
the benefits to the way they treat their ground. They, they feel some of the same sense of responsibility that we do as landowners. They want to be doing things not only to improve their farm, but there's more understanding out there, whether it's social media or what it is, uh, more understanding out there today about soil quality and about water quality and, and how we as farmers impact the world we live in. And so, so we've actually... Um, are getting a financial benefit on our operation now just from the from the fact that that our landlords have a, a, a loyalty and a sense of commitment to the way that we're farming their farms and so I think that's a really neat thing that's come out of this that we maybe didn't see up front that is honestly as you know things things get difficult from year to year and uh, cash rents go up and down and these kind of things um, having that commitment from your landlords and having them share the vision that we have uh, for the way we want to treat their farms is is really valuable to us that's really interesting we we've, we've done some talks on that um, included in other episodes of the of the fieldwork podcast you now where we're talking about having those conversations with our land landlords and whatnot and I know on our farm we've gone through some of that too and I think being able to have that dialogue, have that conversation and showing them, here's what I want to do. Here's why I want to do it. Can we work together to make a long-term deal work out and be beneficial for both of us? I think that's interesting. It sounds like you guys have had really good success at being able to make that happen. Um, in Iowa too, 60% of the farm ground is not owned uh, by the person who is farming it. Um, so it's it's a landowner that owns the ground. And 60% of that ground, somebody else is coming in and farming it. The farmer's coming in and leasing that ground. Matt, how do you think that, you know, plays a part of this? And how do we how do we help to facilitate that conversation as well and create some action there to be get more of those parties involved? Well, I think that in reality, I think this podcast is a great opportunity because, you know, they're going to be people other than than farmers in the midwest that listen to this and so maybe it's somebody you know that uh, that lives out of out of the midwest but has some tie uh, back to you know farmland in north central iowa for for example um you know and they say well maybe we can do something different you know maybe we should be a part of of the solution and they they engage with their tenant or or they engage with their farm you know whoever uh, handles the farm management and says i want to do something a little bit different you know um i still remember a story when a when a um uh, a landowner asked the question uh, to to a farmer at a meeting and and this this landowner said you know i want to have cover crops done on my farm uh, but my tenant won't do it and this this other operator said well then find a new tenant you have all the power to say what you want to have done on your land uh, and you need to to take it you know utilize that exponentially more do you have any advice for farmers that maybe have not gotten into drain tile very far yet that are maybe considering installing some drain tile what what would be your advice for them one simple thing is we need to keep track of where it's put in because that will benefit us in the future then think about are there opportunities as we design this to integrate some of these edge of field practices and some of that may be less expensive to do as we you know replace that drainage system you already have the contractor out there um, putting in a bioreactor maybe less you know, if you're not having to mobilize that equipment a second time to put in the bioreactor, you can do it while you're while you're putting in the, the drainage system. I also think that uh, producers should look at, um, you know, is their site or is their farm 
you know, is it likely to benefit from a crop production standpoint and with that drainage? I think we have certain areas of Iowa where maybe we don't have, you know, we don't have as much excess water stress or high water tables where we, we may put in that drainage, uh, but we may not be getting the return from it. So I think, you know, really evaluating, do we have uh, soils where we, you know, without drainage, we would have those high water table conditions. Then, you know, if we're going to implement it, then think about, you know, how do we um, design it with controlled drainage maybe in mind for the future, lay those laterals a little bit more along the contour rather than up and down the slope. That would provide the potential to manage that drainage system at some point in the future. Even if you're not going to do it now, plan that you might do it at some point in the future. And so that's where thinking about, you know, designing that system with these edge of field practices in mind, laying it out so that you can implement it. And that's where talking to your contractor, you know, uh, Rodney's probably on the forefront of that and thinking about this, but, you know, asking your contractor saying, you know, I want you to design this with controlled drainage in mind or where I could put a bioreactor in the future or, uh, and so forth. Our guests are Dr. Matt Helmers and Rodney Rulin are here both talking to us via Skype. Are there programs available, whether it be in Iowa or Indiana? Maybe we'll jump to Rodney on this. Rodney, are there programs available to help farmers with, with some of these some of these practices? Yeah, there certainly are. Um, probably the easiest one, obviously, is the EQIP program. Uh, has a lot of a lot of money for doing some of these uh, structural things. Um, um, but there's also some local programs. Some some soil and water districts here are, are helping with some programs. But but yeah, I will uh, kind of reiterate what Matt was saying there. There's a there's a lot of value in planning. You know, we we spend a lot of time uh, when we're doing drainage system plans with people, uh, whether it be an addition in a field that's already got some or uh, ideally a, a completely new installation where we're uh, just starting from scratch. And and the way you structure those systems, uh, the depth of the tiles, the the you know, direction along the slope, the the number of outlets into uh, the open ditch or, or the stream. Um, all those things can really play a big role in how easy it is to retrofit. We've done several of the uh, um, controlled structure installations and things like that, and uh, I think those are really neat as far as the, the benefits that we can get out of them. They're pricey, and that's where Equip has come in for us, and we generally work with guys on Equip and, and getting some money to, to do those structures because uh, in our area, the amount of slope that we have, is, we don't have a lot of slope, but it's not unusual to have, you know, 20 foot of, of fall across a, an 80 acre field. So when you do that, if you don't design the system right, you don't get very many acres per control structure. So because you're basically limited by the depth of that control structure until the water backs back up and runs across top of the ground. So, so you know, three or four foot of elevation change and then you need another control structure. So certainly that design and, and the way you do that, you need to work with somebody that understands those considerations when you're looking at designing a system, even if you may, you know, whether you may or may not be putting those in right now, it's, it's important to take into account how you would potentially do that in the future in order to avoid wasting a lot of a lot of time and money and then go in and talk to your NRCS agent talk to talk to your soil and water district and and see what programs are available individually because there there really are a lot of programs out there now that can help in getting this done yeah so really being able to think about this you know as you're listening to this episode or 
you know, and planning, especially for the long term, that the resources might not be there in the short term to implement everything that you want to do right away. But if you can put together more of a long-term goal, maybe over five or even 10 years to be able to implement some of this, sounds like a really good way to kind of go about it and to think about water a little differently. Um, so a lot of really good resources here that we've brought up today, and we really appreciate you guys you know, coming on and helping out. Matt, any other kind of concluding remarks and, and you know, what's kind of your overall, you know, end of the day takeaway too, just on tile or on just subsurface drainage and, uh, and then any other, um, how can we, uh, kind of keep in touch with you or, you know, be able to kind of continue on the conversation here going forward? Yeah, I would, I'd love to continue on the conversation and, and certainly, um, you know, want to, want to follow up with, with Rodney at, at some point as well, because I've, uh, you know, farmers having the voices he has is very, very important. And, uh, I took so much away from, from what he talked about. It's easy to find me. I think, uh, um, I'm on Twitter, ISU ag water management. Um, you can contact me, um, pretty easy to find at Iowa state university, Matt Helmers. I think my, you know, my, my take home point or kind of a last uh, concluding comment is, is we have an opportunity uh, to do things different in the future. Um, you know, there were, uh, I still remember a time um, when we first started talking about Iowa nutrient reduction strategy and thinking about what we do on the land. And somebody made a comment to me, well, we've always grown corn and soybeans. We're always going to grow corn and soybeans. And, you know, if we look back to a hundred years ago, yes, in Iowa, we grew about 10 million acres of, of corn but we had hardly any soybeans. So things can change within our agricultural system. Excellent points. Really good. Rodney, I'm going to throw it back to you and kind of ask the same questions. You know, what is what is kind of the final verdict and, and your takeaway on drain tile, good, bad, or indifferent? And uh, how can people get in touch with you if they want to talk to you a little bit more about what we've talked about today? All right, sure. Let's start off with the easiest way to get in touch with me is just through our website, uh, com. So uh, that's our farm website. Certainly anybody's welcome to reach out. Um, dra- drainage is critical. There's there's no way that we can, can say it's not here in Indiana. Um, we, we need drainage. We need to be able to effectively drain our farms. Uh, we probably have a lesser percentage of farms that are, are drained than, than what some of you guys in the West do, but certainly it's growing exponentially now but sometimes we get stuck in in the idea that you know we've always done it this way we want to uh you know take the outlet straight into the the ditch at whatever is the minimum cost cost way and those kind of things um certainly if we fail to see the impact that we're having and and the fact that we need to to change going forward maybe from what we've done recently then then shame on us and maybe we deserve what we get i think uh um, 10 years ago when we started talking about these issues and the the nitrates and the phosphorus in the water and those kind of things we all said well you know we need time we don't uh, understand what's going on there hasn't been good research we don't have good options i i think anybody that listens to this uh podcast here today can can clearly see that we've come a long ways. We, we do have options. We do have things we can do. And as farmers, and speaking for myself, and especially, you know, we, we've had time to try and figure this out. We've been working really hard at it. So that was Matt Helmers and Rodney Rulin talking to us on Skype. Guys, thanks a lot for joining in. All right. Thank you. Yeah. 
This has been great. Thank you guys so much. This has been a great conversation, as Mitchell said, and an important one. You know, we know, as as Mitchell touched on earlier, that drain tile it, it is typically shows a r- really good return on investment for the farmers. And so for us as farmers, it's important that we drain our, our fields correctly. And we also need to be cognizant of what we're doing out there when it comes to the uh, nutrient management and, and the nitrogen especially. And the, the bottom line is that the economics need to work for us as farmers. So we need a lot of people to help us make field work happen. So we've got a list here that we're going to thank, and I'm going to try not to screw up any names. I'm going to start with Annie Baxter. Then I'm going to move on to Amy Scotchless-Cole, Dan Ackerman, Todd Melby, Ayana Esters, Lauren Humpert, Laura Doherty, Dom DeFerio, and Jeff Thompson. A couple other people, too. Johnny Vince Evans wrote our theme song, and it was performed with the help from Corey Shreppel. Thanks for all the engineering and technical support that we get from all the folks up here at American Public Media and for letting us use your shiny recording studios. Everyone, be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you want to listen to us here today. Also, you can go to fieldworktalk.org to check us out, and you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube, all at fieldworktalk. This is where we're supposed to have a tagline. Yeah, we're supposed to have a tagline. We did <laughs> We did end up having beer last night, but we didn't come up with any tagline. We did not get a tagline. <laughs> Over and out was as good as we've come up with Over so and far. Out.